Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 50, which begins with Loki denying Sif's request to bring back Thor and ends with the scientists three in a library. Joining us on the show today, unfortunately, for the last time this week, but hopefully we'll have him back for a later Marvel Movie Minutes, once again is Matt Carroll, co-host of the MCU cast, which was the winner of the People's Choice Podcast Award for TV and Film, and founder of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Matt, um, as someone who's talked so much about the MCU, like kind of episode by episode, I'm kind of curious for you, what's it been like doing this kind of minute by minute analysis? It's interesting. Uh, there's so much in each minute, but also it's really hard to try to stay re- restrained to each minute, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm like, but the thing he says <laughs> in the next minute is so tied to this. Uh, but I really, uh, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. It's a cool and neat way to like break it down and do something different because you know, there's, there's tons of ways to review these things and tons of ways that podcasts and articles are getting written. And so it's cool to have just a completely novel thing. I like it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being a part of this, and we're going to get more into that in just a moment. We are an independent podcast from True Story FM. We love producing this show and talking about Thor and all these other films in the MCU, but it does take time and cost money. Without our members, for whom we are eternally grateful, we couldn't keep it going. Membership means that we can deliver content to you without selling your information and interests through podcast advertising sources. We like our privacy, and we know you do as well. If you're already a member, thank you so much. If you're not, would you please consider becoming one for the season? It only costs $5 a month, or we do offer a discounted price if you join at the annual rate. Visit truestory.fm slash Minute to learn more. Thanks. Andy, yesterday you kind of pointed out that we were uh, jumping ahead a minute. I have to say half the questions <laughs> I want to discuss are ones we were already kind of getting into. But let, let's kind of start there, not to go over the old ground again, but just so Loki starts by kind of explaining his reasoning for, you know, I don't just want to overdo, I don't want to change what my father said. And also this is a difficult time and avoiding war. We went into all this stuff last time about how insincere he is, but I just kind of curious, like I, I, I've said I'm on team Loki in this. Do you all agree with him? Do you think it would it is right to 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 honor what Odin wanted and to that we need to be careful in this very fragile time with the Odins, or is he just clearly he's saying it for his own reasons, but do you think he's right? I mean, it's definitely an interesting perspective. And I think that there is something about it that does feel accurate, right? The fact that, you know, this is a transition time, you know, we're on the brink of war with Jotunheim, which is because of us, but I'm not gonna say anything about that. Uh and the fact that uh, you know Odin made this decision. The first thing I'm not going to do is come in and change that. And so I can see that. But also, it does feel very scheming. But then on the flip side, it's like, you know, politicians do it all the time. It's like, if he if he did all of that, I don't think it would be a huge thing. But I think, you know, there is an element of it where he is trying to, especially because it is royalty, and and he is the, quote, heir to the throne at this particular point in time. Um, I suppose that you do want at least the Asgardians to feel like, oh, he's going to be the next great Odin, as opposed to somebody who's going to come in and just kind of like shake everything up and 
and ruin all the good that was going on. So we also get an interesting technical thing here that I'm curious about, because I don't think I've seen it at any other point in the movie, although maybe maybe we have. But it's it's a lens flare, I believe. We get this kind of like a blue line moving across the screen, starting at the bottom first, and then moving up, and then a second one kind of closer to the top. Andy, if someone knows more of the technical side, is that a lens flare? And why do you think we have it in this particular moment? I mean, it's, it, it is a lens flare. And it just, you know, anytime there is a potential light that some of the it, the light may not be shining directly into the lens but the le- or like in frame but it still can be hitting it i mean you you could potentially get those lens flares and it's just one of those cases where it could have been uh something that the lens happened to be picking up that would have caused the lens flares in that particular moment uh to to kind of um shine the way they do here and they might have not they might have seen it and not worried about it they might have seen it and said well crap we we're running long on the day we can't go back and reshoot it they might not have noticed until they were editing um in the context of the the film i don't think it it's too distracting you certainly with some directors now you really see lens flares quite a bit what who <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah right exactly so you know it's one of those things I, I i don't think they're what what strikes me as weird with them is just the fact that this is a place where we're not really seeing artificial light so if anything it's coming from like the fires or light from outside or something so that that's where it strikes me as like huh okay not a not where i would have thought they would be getting those sorts of lens flares to give them an even a more gracious thing like it is something we don't see anywhere else that i know of in the movie and asgard is lit very cleanly and brightly most of the film and here it is lit it's backlit for one thing like those fires are behind him which is what ends up causing lens flares so whether like whether it's the backlighting is just causing it or whether they intended it, I think the lighting here is very deliberate in that like something has changed in Asgard. Like a dark, sinister presence is now taken Asgard and you get this like sense of that through the lighting, which I think is what that darkness with the with the light coming in from behind is what like leads to those lens layers. I think it's a very good point. And so now we get even more of what we started to talk about yesterday, which Sif is just not buying this. When when he finishes saying, like, I'm doing this for the, the, the good of Asgard, she leaps to her feet and her friends have to, like, pull her back a bit. Why do you think it's Sif in particular that is the most upset about this and the most, like, I'm not going to take a word of this? Well, she's certainly the emotional character of the three. You know, she seems to be the one, like, it, like when they're in the healing room, she's the one who stands up. And pleads to Loki to do exactly what they're doing here, right? You need to be the. Can you go to the All Father and please let him uh, tell him that to to um, you know retract Thor's banishment? Uh, and so again, she's she's very much kind of reacting. It's it's kind of her emotions taking hold. I would also. This is definitely something they probably did not have in mind. Although maybe the Loki series, there's a moment where you see Sif, and it's a moment. It's they're, they're trying to give him a moment of torture to relive over and over. And the moment they choose is when Sif is very mad at him. And I got to imagine for him, that was a moment that Sif stopped trusting him, that Sif, you know, he felt alienated from Sif. And it kind of gives me the sense that like maybe Sif and he had a different kind of relationship before that moment, or possibly that Sif, it, Sif was someone he cared about thinking good of him and 
So when she stands up and Fendril grabs her and pulls her down, I think it's because Fendril has seen a different Loki than she has seen. Like he has presented himself in one way, but then like maybe Fendril has seen the sort of darker undertones that like seen the depths that maybe Loki could stoop to if given power and Fendril grabs her because Sif is like, no, you're doing, you're doing a bad thing, but I still don't, doesn't think that she will, he will do something to her, maybe violent or whatever, won't actually punish her. And Fendril thinks he will, you know, he grabs her and pull. It actually reminds me a lot of Selvig holding back, um, you know, from shield. So shield is the, whatever. Yeah. From that, from previous episode. Yeah. And I think you're right about the, um, the Loki series moment in that I don't think they were thinking here. 12 years from now, we might include a, a moment about Sif and Loki not liking each other, but both of them are taken directly from Norse mythology. Like, Loki cutting Sif's hair in a way that infuriates Sif is something that happens in the mythology. Oh, and so neat. I think, like, like so that for them to have that idea that in the mythology, Loki and Sif have a very particular antagonism towards each other, in part because Sif is Loki is Sif is Thor's wife in the myths and doesn't like that he keeps going off on these crazy adventures with Loki. So yeah, I think like they're kind of both taken from that origin of yeah that that Loki. Sif cares for Thor in a in a different way than the Warriors Three do, and we've seen her give little bits of wistful looks. Uh, and and so I feel like she'd be even more. I think you're right. She'd be even more emotional. She'd be even more protective, and she'd be the first to be like Loki is not trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. Which she was. I mean, she's the one who said he's always been jealous of Thor, right? So she's she's the one who really starts kind of pointing that sort of stuff out. It's it is interesting that. Um, that she really hones in on that. But uh, to your point, Matt, it's interesting how Fandral, you know, he's the one who does recognize that, like, things have changed now. Loki is on the throne. He is king. He just called it out. The 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 two guards, the unknown guards that we have standing here, um, are, you know, doing what Loki's bidding, as far as they can tell. And it's like he does recognize, like, you don't rise up and strike a king. Right. And and you don't want to do something that's going to put you into uh, the uh, the dungeons or something like that. And so it's it's interesting the way that these that they play here, um, especially with Fandral and Hogan kind of pulling her back. But then also with Volstag coming in almost like comedic. I, I don't know if comedic is the right word, but there is a turn that he has when he kind of it was trying to be affable. Right. Like he's trying yeah, to be right, like, right. well, let me approach. So you approach him with anger. You approach him with reverence and Volstag's approaching him with this affable nature. Well, Loki, my friend, let's talk about this. And it's like, it's interesting. Yeah, right, right. They all three take this very different stance. Well, especially because if I, the one I got from Volstag is, you know, it's funny throughout the whole movie up till now, he's kind of been the most like in the wind one. You know, he he always seems to agree with whoever's spoken last. Um, and he was the first one to kind of be most respectful. But even here, I kind of feel like he and he was also the one who was most getting on Loki's case earlier, you know, kind of most teasing him. And, and to me, it feels like he's kind of like, OK, Loki, you're king. We'll play along. And the way he laughs at like, if I may, <laughs> your majesty, like he's kind of being like, okay, Loki, I'll be in on the joke with you, but we all know it's a joke. 
And and then Loki, of course, just cuts him off and says, it is done. And I, I thought, again, like, that's just a great sign of Volstagg, especially, is one of the ones who Stiff doesn't take him seriously because she doesn't trust him. Volstagg, I think, just just doesn't take him seriously. Mm. It is it is an interesting reaction that Volstagg has. and But also, like, his reaction when Loki tells him, like, we're done here, like, it's like, wow, okay. That's that. That's where we are. Like Volstag, it kind of really hits him. Like this is that's it. Okay, we have to move forward with this as the new king. And I found his reaction like uh, almost a little like there's some contempt that he has now of Loki. It was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I I, I didn't I didn't see Volstag's laughter as laughter of of derision or like like he's trying to let Loki know he thinks it's a joke. I think that that laughter was, all right, this is a strange situation for all of us. But of course, you're yeah, the king. Right. Like, I, I, to me, it just fit in with his nature of like, uh, like, oh, we're, 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 I'm the happy drinking warrior guy, you know, like, uh, it, it, it seemed more affable of a laugh. It's a very, very fine line though. Like he, when he starts to laugh, I almost worried for him. And then he like, but he sort of like <laughs> comes out of the laugh in this sincere place where he's like really at, like with his hands out asking for something. And it really like, it's, it's such a really beautifully played moment. Yeah, because the way he says it, like, if I might ask you to consider, it, it's kind of like when you're like, you know, mom, make chicken for dinner. And your mom's like, you should be asking. And you're like, okay, mom, may you please, maybe please have chicken for dinner. And then she's like, okay, well, now you asked. Th- that's what it kind of seems like, is that he feels like, okay, if I go through the motion that, th- that Loki wants. I also just think, we've talked before about how the script has all the Warriors 3, but especially Volstagg, played really just like a buffoon. And Branagh clearly didn't like that. This scene isn't in the script, uh, this this moment of Volstagg. And so I just really think, like, the Warriors 3, but especially Volstagg, Branagh really wanted to give, take away from the buffoonery, but also, you know, let Volstagg be part of a couple of uh, important moments, which as a rotund, ginger-haired, bearded fellow, uh, I have <laughs> quite an appreciation for. <laughs> I, I did want like you were you're talking about the the line and I just wanted to read the actual line is like if I may beg the indulgence of your majesty like that's like super like I you you got it. you're the king I'm I'm fully submitting to you you know right yeah very exactly true. yeah it's I I really like the way that they they play it uh, again it's also interesting that Hogan says nothing uh, par for the course, really. But it's interesting how they are trying to figure out a way to now navigate these new waters, which, uh, I mean, to a certain extent, Loki is too, right? I mean, he's just found out that he's a Jotun and now he's on the throne of Asgard, like all in the course of, you know, a few hours. And, and now he's kind of like, I, I think that it's interesting. He's like trying to figure out what does this mean and what what am I going to do now that I'm in this position? Am I going to wage war on Jotunheim? Am I going to to team up with Jotunheim? Like, what is like? I, I'm very curious. Like, what's going through his head at this particular moment? Mm. I, I think it has to do. I still think it has something to do with his like position of trying to find a place, and he's like the Jotun are his people. He's just realized, but he also feels the need to like have strength towards them because his his people that he was raised with are here and so it's this weird like almost self-hating thing you know when when someone like 
has been taught that his people are wrong all this time and now he knows he's one of them, um, which is interesting because then later he has the variant issue in Loki and it's kind of the same thing. Like everyone thinks the variants are bad and he has to kind of go like, but wait, were you all variants? Like he, he has that whole uh, connection. One thing I'm thinking about is, am I right that in the Loki TV show, we never saw a variant that just grew up as a Jotun, right? Like that, the the idea of a universe in which Odin doesn't steal him, and so he just grows up as a Jotun. Like we never saw that, did we? No, we didn't. What if? Yeah, which I haven't seen the last couple episodes of that. So, but I I should have seen it. Don't worry about spoiling me for that. <laughs> uh, now there's there's one episode of What If where he's still like a big blue frost giant. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The last thing I wanted to say about this part before we'll talk about the five seconds in the library and then wrap this up is uh, I just finished watching Squid Game. Um, Very different genre, to be sure, but very, very good. But I watched it all with subtitles, and I was reminded again that, like, you can have no idea what an actor is saying and still, like, be blown away by the acting performances. And I I just mentioned that because Stiff... I think this is some of the best acting that that actress does throughout the whole movie. It's without saying a word, you know, because she just the way she is just staring daggers at him while all this other stuff is happening around her. You know, Volstag is saying that and then going up then standing up. Loki is walking down the stairs. It's just such a great acting performance of you just feel every emotion she's feeling and she doesn't have to say a word to convey it. Mm -hmm. It's a what I love about that moment is, you know, as the Warriors three, um, leave and i I, just as a side note i was like well okay there's no parting salute they just kind of walk away which i thought was a little weird but whatever but sif just stares and it is a dead-on stare at loki of hatred and we get a great close-up of jamie alexander doing this stare which is great and then what's interesting is we cut back to loki and he kind of does this weird thing and it's a small subtle movement but he kind of like lowers his head toward her like there's a little bit of like a serpent-like movement as if he's really trying to focus all of his energy just on hating her in that moment but just the way that he kind of like almost digs in with the look at her it's so subtle but it's such an interesting loki thing um before she leaves i just i loved it Mm. so then we cut to just a few seconds in the library um i tried to look up who is this woman in the library and it turns out that uh one of the problems i've been finding in doing research for this movie is that because there's no sort of subtitle to it it's just thor that if you google thor and woman in library like i did this deep dive (laughs) on an actress named alana olivia because she's credited as library student in thor the dark world uh, um, so <laughs> not relevant here. I couldn't find who that was. Well, it's it's especially tough when you only see them from the back. <laughs> yes, definitely. But it's kind of a fun moment because I think, you know, they never say it, but clearly this is the response to, you know, they took your laptop. He is now, I think we even hear a little bit the email whooshing sound that you used to get on like AOL yeah, you do. Uh, or whatever that is. And so it's just a kind of fun moment. And mostly I wanted to just bring this up because uh, in the script, there's actually this thing happening in the library where the kids are having story time and like they're reading a story about Norse mythology. And in the next minute, next week, we'll talk about how while they're in there, Eric is going to find a book. But I, 
I, I'm glad they cut that scene because it just seems so cheesy and over the top to have like that be the way that Eric gets to kind of study Norse stuff again. <laughs> oh, so they were reading a book about Norse mythology? Yeah, like it's story time and they're reading a like a story. And I think this I think in the script the story isn't necessarily about Norse mythology, but it's something similar. But then they bring up like the Norse myths or something. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. I, I did I did wonder with this minute though, you mentioned that it starts with the kind of Eric sending off that email you hear the email whoosh i'm like oh is that off to, to dr hank pym mm-hmm. since uh, we have that little nod early yeah I, I think exactly that that's what he's doing it's it's interesting because he's um yeah I, I guess he had to remember that email address who knows an email address yeah exactly right yeah, true yeah. <laughs> it's also just kind of a nice thought about how much our opinions about the internet have changed because today if you told me that a person was fearful about a secret government agency that knows too much. And so he was going to send an email with a lot of sensitive information to a person who might also be coming to the attention of the secret government agency. And so would go and do it from a completely unsecured library computer. I'd be like, can we talk about security just a little bit here? But back then I was like, yeah, it's the internet. It's safe. Well, it's also that they're not necessarily the people who think about that sort of, uh, security these are like scientists who are pretty open about whatever their research and stuff and that's the thing is like their research became problematic and shields shut them down yeah right right yeah um just uh while we're while we're here in the library just a quick little uh tour of uh puente antiguo mm-hmm. uh this is the puente antiguo library out the window, you can see the cocktails sign, and you can see that Isabella's Diner is there, which makes me think, in context of trying to figure out where all these things are, that this is the library is actually in the Greyhound station. That perhaps the Greyhound bus, even though we see a bus earlier, maybe they don't stop here or they don't have an official station anymore. Now it's just a stop. And now the station has been converted into the library is kind of my mm. uh, what I'm reading this as. Mm-hmm. Um and then also, just to point out, on the wall in here, you see a Read to Your Hero uh, poster hanging up. This is a campaign that the American Library Association uh, had, their Read campaign, which has been running since 1985. They've had hundreds of celebrities, sports people, all on these Read posters. In this particular case, it's a fireman who's reading to his hero, this this little girl who's sitting with him. Um, I love that they do this. Interestingly, it started in 1985. Bill Cosby, uh, good old notorious Bill Cosby, he was the very first person who was on one of these uh, posters for their Celebrity Read campaign. And interestingly, Anthony Hopkins has been on one. I'd love to think that uh, they would have hung one of his up on the wall to create a a strange, (laughs) a strange alternate universe. Yeah. And just to give a little plug for one of our former guests, if uh, I haven't got a chance to do it now, I'm quickly looking and not finding it, but I imagine it's in here. Uh, if you go to the MCU Location Scout website, mculocationscout.com, you might be able to find where they actually shot this library because certainly it looks an awful lot like an actual library. But oh, who knows? I, well, this is, I think this is on the set. We're in the town of Puente Antigua. I think, like I said, this is inside that actual Greyhound building here in the actual, mm, okay. in, in the, uh, the Western town. So they just shipped in a bunch of books for it. I can see that. Yeah, just production design right exactly mm-hmm. cool all right well matt it's been so good to have you is there any other kind of last comment you want to make either about this minute or just kind of the five minutes in general we've gotten to watch mm. or this movie in general uh i guess i guess not it's really it's really interesting and i i feel like i need to go rewatch because some of the takes y'all have on the way like just watching this scene these five minutes out of context is interesting to like try to 
sets out Loki, like we're talking about Loki and the Warriors three, their sort of, um, uh, motivations and stuff. It's really hard to suss that out when I haven't watched the beginning of the movie lately, yeah. uh, or at least as, as close a watch as y'all are doing. So I think this is super cool that you guys are doing this. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It was super, super fun. And like getting that close of a read on every scene and like what their motivations are. So it's such a cool, if nothing else, it's like a cool writing exercise, like to break down these movies and see what they, what they were thinking and when they were doing it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it is a, it's a fun journey. I loved doing it on Iron Man and I'm glad I'm back in the fold doing it here for this one, just to dig in deep with this movie. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Matt, uh, again, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, for people who really enjoyed hearing you, uh, just give us one more time a quick rundown of where they can find your podcast, your music, all the rest. Yeah, man. Uh, just so strandedpanda.com is everything uh, in one place. But uh, that, that do a lot of podcasts, Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast being the most uh, applicable. But the uh, thing I would really love if you guys would do is go to Spotify or Apple or whatever and search for Welcome to the World by The Garage. That is, that, is, that is my song that's Marvel-related. I've got more Marvel songs on the way, but uh, follow The Garage on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get music. Cool. Yeah, we will definitely check that out. Uh, if you're not, MCU Podcast is one of the most regular podcasts I've been listening to for a long time. It's so great there. Uh, Matt's been a guest on my Superhero Ethics Podcast a couple times. Um, we have content coming out about the Orville, which we just heard the release date for Season 3 by the time this comes out will be coming up. I think it's in February of 2022. Is that right, Matt? March? Uh, the Orville is in March. March. Okay, so yeah. So we're... All of season one, we have uh, episodes out on. We're going to do a whole bunch more episodes about season two. And of course, uh, any other, you know, that's where you get great TV stuff, MCU stuff. Definitely check out MCU podcast. Other films, though, stuff, other film stuff. There's so much great things to find on the next real family of podcasts. That's where Andy and Pete and I've had done some stuff up there. A whole other great uh, set of people. Check all those out. And then the most important thing I always ask you, have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music